Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Griffin Strom. Ohio State football team doesn't play this week, but we're still here podcasting. Griffin, can you believe we're already at the halfway point of a regular season? It really has gone in the blink of an eye. It's already six games into the season. We've got an off week this week, week seven. Come back against Indiana week eight. And yeah, and this thing's just, just speeding right by. Yeah, I think when we have seven and a half months of off-season to build up to the season, and then the season itself takes place in a matter of four months, it, it just feels like it goes by on us so fast. Yeah, and you know, there's going to be bigger and bigger games coming up here as well. Obviously, with the postseason, it kind of strings along that time for the last couple of games of the season. But for right now, we're, we're right in the thick of things and moving on very quickly. Yeah, and you know, it feels like really... Although things have feel, although things feel like they've gone really fast, it also feels like it's been a long time since that loss to Oregon because this team the last few weeks has looked completely different than the team we saw in those first couple games of the season. Another dominant performance by the Buckeyes on Saturday with a 66-17 win over Maryland. And obviously, when you score 66 points, that means your offense has had a really good day. And to be more specific, the offense has basically had two flawless days in a row. Because if you look back to the start of a Rutgers game and the drives that C.J. Stroud and the first-team offense have been on the field, they have not been stopped. The only two possessions in those two games where Ohio State has not scored with C.J. Stroud and the first-team offense on the field was at the end of the half when they left the clock run out. That's it. Other than that, this offense has scored every single time. And now that we've seen it as a pattern here for multiple weeks with C.J. Stroud at the helm, I think we can start talking about this is the best offense in the country. Well, Dan, if you're just talking statistically, it is right now the number one total offense in college football just beating out Ole Miss, I believe, which is saying a lot considering the numbers that that offense has put up this year as well. But yet, and this this offense is really just the offense that a lot of people expected it to be or thought that it could be going into this season if C.J. Stroud could kind of live up to the Justin Fields standards considering the wide receivers that this offense has, considering the potential of running back. And then what is, what's impressed you most about this offense? Is it C.J. Stroud's development, Trayvon Henderson's emergence, or the trio of wide receivers, or even the rock-solid offensive line play we've seen so far in the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's all been really impressive, hasn't it? I mean, I think you you look at the wide receivers, like that might have been the thing that caught my eye the most on Saturday, and I know you wrote about it, because they were just wide open so much. And maybe that's partially because Maryland doesn't have a great secondary, but I think a lot of it is just the fact that these guys are so good. They're so hard to cover. And... And if you just had one Chris Olave, it'd be hard to cover. But when you've got a Chris Olave and a Garrett Wilson and a Jackson Smith and Jigba, that's three guys who are elite wide receivers that makes it extremely difficult for any secondary to stop what they can do. And then, you know, I think certainly the thing that's really stood out here these last two weeks has been C.J. Stroud really hitting his stride. Because, again, we talked about it last week. It was only three weeks ago that Ohio State fans were asking us whether C.J. Stroud should even be the starting quarterback. I mean, it was only three weeks ago that Ohio State fans were asking us if Kyle McCord played well against Akron 
could he take the starting job away from C.J. Stroud? And and that feels ridiculous now in hindsight because C.J. Stroud has been phenomenal the last two weeks. I mean, he's been so good the last two weeks, but I think he is now right at the forefront of the Heisman Trophy conversation. He's got some of the best numbers in the country. The last two weeks, he's thrown 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. His uh, quarterback rating has been absurdly high. So this is a guy who's really found his stride. And then you, you add in a Travion Henderson who has already emerged as an elite running back. We, we, we thought he would at some point. We didn't know it would be this quickly. And then you look at an offensive line as well that I think has been really rock solid. I think, I think the pass protection's been excellent. I think it's been better than it's been in a few years. And, and they've also done a good job opening holes in the run game. So I think this offense right now is firing on all cylinders. There's going to be tougher tests ahead. I mean, there's, there's going to be Penn State, Michigan, teams like that ahead that are better defensive teams. And whether they can continue this kind of pace against those teams is really going to tell us whether this is the best offense in the country. But we were asked last week how this offense stacks up to Alabama's offense from last year and LSU's offense from two years ago. And I'm still not ready to go there and saying this offense is as good or could be even better. But if you just look at the numbers right now, this Ohio State offense is averaging 48.5 points per game and 562.7 yards per game. Both of those would be school records. The, the total offense would be a new Big Ten record. That's the same number of points per game and more yards per game than Alabama averaged last year. It's just barely more points per game and just barely less yards per game than LSU averaged in 2019. So again, there's going to be tougher tests to come. I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves, but if you look at the pace this offense is on right now, it, it is on a pace so far this season to be one of the best offenses we've ever seen. And if they can keep this up, this becomes a team that's capable of beating anybody in college football. Yeah, it might look easy sometimes if you're looking at what the wide receivers are doing for C.J. Stroud because those guys are so wide open like we talked about. But I think we, we expected the wide receivers to kind of be that open because we've seen Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson do that all of last year pretty much. Now the question was going to be, could C.J. Stroud look as good as, as Justin Fields? And Dan, C.J. Stroud put up big numbers, obviously, in those first couple games this year. I had a friend that was texting me about Ohio, Ohio State the last couple of days. He hadn't actually watched the last two games, but he's just seeing C.J. Stroud's numbers and going, well, yeah, like he was, he was already putting up big numbers, so like what's the big deal? I really think you have to have watch those performances to see the difference if you haven't watched the last two games that Ohio State has played you wouldn't understand just from looking at the stats alone why people why the confidence in this team has grown so much from inside and outside the program yeah absolutely correct because I think CJ he's just he's looked more confident he's looked sharper it just seems like he's in a better rhythm he's making better decisions of the ball we're not seeing those you know same kind of overthrows. I think there was one on Saturday where he he overshot Olave, but then a few plays later came back with a perfect throw to the corner of the end zone to Garrett Wilson. And so it, it just seems like with every start he's getting better and better, and, and they're just finding their rhythm. And now it's a matter of trying to keep that going uh, through the bye week and into the second half of the year. Yeah, if we want to nitpick one thing though with the Ohio State offense, we can say because I did just look at the numbers here. I believe Ohio State right now is averaging its fewest rushing yards of Ryan Day's head coaching tenure. So they're at, I believe, 210 right now per game for, for the offense, which the last couple of years has been over 250 per game. Obviously, 
in, in terms of the Maryland game in particular, Travion Henderson wasn't hitting those big runs early on in the game. He was actually getting stuffed up quite a bit. Now, when you look at his final stats, 100 yards on 16 carries and two touchdowns, those are still great numbers. But of course, early on in that game, he wasn't hitting those holes like we assumed he he might. Maryland did, did have a pretty good defensive line statistically coming into the game, but that is one thing you could say, hmm, that didn't really hit. Th- those runs didn't hit the way we might have thought that they would have. Yeah, I think it was pretty clear Maryland's game plan, at least to start the game, was we're going to sell out to stop the run, beat us through the air. And Ohio State said, okay, no problem. So, you know, I think I think this is an offense that's capable of beating def- defenses in, in numerous different ways. I mean, I, I don't see those numbers and go, oh, no, only 210 rushing yards per game. Um, I'm really nervous here. So, obviously, again, you look at a t- game like Penn State coming up in a few weeks, if it's got one of the better defenses in the country, certainly that's going to really tell us, okay, is this a team that can grind out those tough yards on the ground and they really need them? But I'm not sure I'm really raising any red flags on that yet. Dan, defensively for Ohio State, obviously that even more than the offense has been the concern for fans, coaches, anybody watching the team this year. Only 17 points given up to Maryland, 335 yards. That's now the third straight defensive performance for Ohio State that's looked pretty darn good. Was it enough on Saturday to convince you, Dan, or us in general, if the defense has really improved so far this season? Yeah, I, I think for me, it definitely is more so than the last two games, because I had said that last week that I, I thought we were seeing encouraging signs from the Ohio State defense, but it was Akron and Rutgers. It was two teams that were ranked outside the top 100 in total offense. This was a Maryland team that was ranked in the top 25 in total offense coming into the game. And granted, they didn't have Dante Demas, their top receiver, Jayshon Jones, another one of their top receivers, got hurt on the second play of a game. So um, they didn't necessarily see Maryland at full strength. But still, for them to go out and have another really strong performance on the defensive side of a ball, I mean, really, when their starters were in the game, they gave up one touchdown because the second touchdown came after they had taken most of their starters out of a game. And so I think this was another really solid showing for the Ohio State defense. I think now we're seeing a pattern of them stringing together better performances and playing with more confidence. At the same time, Ryan Day, the last couple days, one thing he has said repeatedly is whenever he's been asked about the defense, he said, we've still got a lot of football to play. We haven't done anything yet. So I think Ryan Day knows there are still going to be tougher tests to come for his defense. When you look at Michigan State, their offense looks like one of the best in the country right now. Nebraska, when they've been on, they've played pretty good offense. Michigan doesn't have a great passing game, but they've got a a good running game. So there's going to be tougher tests to come for sure from this defense. But I think think what we've seen now is three weeks in a row, we've seen them go against progressively better opponents in terms of the offenses they're playing, and they've continued to play at the same level. So I think that's really encouraging about – the direction in which this defense is going. I wrote about some of those defensive improvements this week and just to throw some numbers out there for you listeners to really kind of hit home the improvements of the defense. Ohio State's now up to number 33 in the country in scoring defense at 20.5 points per game, which is really not that bad considering when you go back to the the national championship game in the first two games of this season, it was 
oh my God, this team hasn't given up this many points in three games in centuries or whatever it was. Now to be the number 33 team in the country in that category, definitely not bad. In the first three games, Ohio State gave up 86 points. The last three, 37. I think particularly encouraging for Ohio State is how the run defense has bounced back because after those first two games, it was like, oh man, maybe the the problem isn't the uh, pass defense as it was last year. Maybe it's actually the run defense this year. But the improvement in that category has been very uh, drastic as well. Ohio State opponents in the first two weeks of the season, 472 yards and six rushing touchdowns. In the last four weeks, 316 yards and zero rushing touchdowns. I think those are some huge indicators. Even if it was lesser competition, that changes and have been made and confidence has really been gained by a lot of players on that defense. Obviously, one of the big changes that's been made on defense was the change from Kerry Combs to Matt Barnes as defensive play callers. And I do think we should talk about the press conference we just were at on Tuesday afternoon with Kerry Combs, because that was a that was a very interesting press conference. Definitely uh, right up there with one of the most interesting press conferences we've had all year and about as fired up as I've ever seen in Kerry Combs in that setting. I mean, we've we've seen Kerry Combs fired up on the sidelines, but in that press conference setting, it was the first time we've talked to Kerry Combs since the Oregon game, since he was effectively demoted and Matt Barnes was moved into that defensive play caller role. And, and I thought Kerry was very real. He was very honest. He, he, he acknowledged that it was hard for him, that, that accepting that has been a work in progress, that he was upset about it when it first happened. And, I think he said it was the hardest thing he's ever had to deal with in his professional career. So, you know, it was evident from hearing Kerry Combs talk on Tuesday that he was not happy about how that all played out. And it still stings for him a little bit. But we also heard Ryan Day on Saturday announce that he had given Kerry Combs the game ball. And we heard Kerry Combs on Tuesday talk about basically how this is a guy as a coach. He has players coming to him, and they're upset maybe because they've lost playing time, they've lost starting jobs. Maybe they're thinking about entering the transfer portal or leaving. And he tells them, "Stick it out. You know, you know don't hang your head. There's going to be better days ahead. You know, let's stay in this thing." And if he's going to espouse that to players, he he wants to live by it as a coach. So he he made it very clear that he's firmly committed to this thing that he's going to do everything he can for the rest of this season to to try to help Ohio State win every game that it plays based on everything we've heard from Ryan Day and from you know defensive players who have been asked about Kerry Combs uh, that's what everybody's said that you know Kerry has continued to bring the same kind of energy that they've been accustomed to of him that he has continued to be a professional about his business and certainly based on what we've seen from the defensive side of a ball in the last few games, certainly whatever they're doing seems to be working. It, 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 again, Ryan Day wanted to make clear when he was asked about it, we've got a long way to go. We'll see. So he's not ready to say yet that, oh, yeah, for sure, this fixed everything. But it certainly does seem like things are going better on the defensive side of a ball since Matt Barnes took over play calling responsibilities and Kerry Combs moved up to the box, which he said was his idea, which he says he thinks has given him a different view of a game and has allowed him to see the game more completely. I will say, though, because we were asked about it 
last week, I did not come out of today's press conference thinking this is a guy who's going to be back at Ohio State next year. I came out of it thinking this is a guy who's going to do everything he can to help Ohio State win this year. But to hear him talk about how hard you know, this has been on him, and you know, even at the end of a press conference he talked about, I'm still as confident as I've ever been in my ability to do this job. And he's saying, give me a job and I'll take a few of you and let's go do it. I got the impression this is a guy who, considering that it's very unlikely he's going to return to being the lead defensive coordinator at Ohio State, that probably isn't going to be on Ohio State's coaching staff next year. Yeah, Dan, Kerry Combs said he wasn't really happy with how public things were, and Ryan Day kind of discussing that Kerry Combs' play-calling responsibilities had just been yanked from out from under him, and basically it kind of seemed like he was just shoved up into the press box and things like that. Obviously, from Kerry Combs' perspective, that's kind of making it seem to potential future suitors that he's incompetent at his job. And of, of course you understand why Kerry Combs would not want all of those narratives to be out there. If he's going to not be at Ohio state next year, one particularly interesting anecdote from his press conference on Tuesday, I thought was obviously Ryan day gave Kerry Combs the game ball after the Maryland game. Kerry Combs said he was, he felt like he was undeserving and kind of embarrassed by the whole thing. I actually did understand where he was coming from with that because I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, man, like if, if I could have just done my job well or, or if things hadn't go, gone bad defensively early on, I would never be getting the game ball. It's kind of an embarrassing thing to kind of say, like you're getting kind of this, what's the word for it? Like a, I don't, an, extent, an extension of an olive branch or something like that to, to kind of make Kerry Combs feel like he's not just this pariah on defense or something like that. So I totally got where he was coming from with that. But it was it was good to see Kerry Combs in higher spirits because the last time we had talked to him, it was clear that, that he, he did not have the same trademark Kerry Combs chipper high energy after the Oregon game, and for good reason. And Kerry made the point on, on Saturday that, you know, or he made a point on Tuesday, excuse me, that, you know, he understands that Ryan Day has to do what he has to do as a head coach. You know, he was asked about that, and he said, you know, that is absolutely 100% the head coach's prerogative for Ryan Day to do what he believes is best for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, you know, I think ultimately, you know, that's what it goes back to. Ryan Day had to make the decision that he thought was best for Ohio State so far, the evidence would suggest to us that he did make the decision that was best for Ohio State. And however this thing might shake out come January, we'll see. You know, I think there most likely are, is going to be some change. And I think how much change is going to depend on how well the defense plays between now and the end of the season. But right now the most important thing is just keeping everybody on the same page and focused on trying to win this season and it sounds like they figured that out i agree dan let's shift gears here to some special teams stuff which seems like an interesting uh, change here but there was actually an interesting special teams development on saturday which isn't something you can always say about ohio state because of course as we know ohio state hasn't had a lot of explosive kick returns or touchdowns in special teams over the the last few years. But Dan, we might be seeing one of those pretty soon because five-star freshman wide receiver Emeka Abuka had the second most kickoff return yards ever in an Ohio State game. 
who was he the best Ohio State kickoff returner since, if you can even think of one in your head, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think about that earlier. Like, is it Ted Ginn? Like, I mean, am I going too far with that? I mean, Paris Campbell was pretty good. Ameka Buka is bringing a spark back to the kickoff return game that we simply haven't seen in a few years. And certainly, I think if you watch, you know, what Alabama's done so far this year, in hindsight, you could go, well, Jameson Williams probably should have been the guy returning kickoffs for the last two years instead of Demario McCall. I think that would be a very fair thing to say. But Ameka Buka looks really comfortable in that role. And, and, you know, I, I would say right now, you know, if him being a true freshman, if he's a guy that stays in that role, I, I, I will go out there and predict that Ameka Buka is going to be the guy that breaks the drought that's dated back to Jordan Hall in 2010. I'm, I'm going to say it. I think Ameka Buka is going to be the guy that finally ends that drought and scores a kickoff return touchdown for Ohio State because he came pretty close with that 67-yard return on uh, Saturday. And it, and it seems like you know, that whole unit has figured something out that's enabling them to make big plays in that phase of the game that for the past few years have been mostly non-existent, if we're being honest. The last time I can even think of a kick return that stood out in my mind is obviously Ted Ginn in the national championship game against Florida, which of course he proceeded to break his his ankle or or whatever the injury was there. Demario McCall, of course, is the guy that's been doing it the last few years, and, and that has not resulted in a lot of uh, memorable moments in the return game. DeMario did have one big one in the 2018 Maryland game. That, that was pretty big, and them ultimately winning that game in overtime. So want to give credit where due there. He did have that one big one. But the last, the last couple years, it kind of felt like he was just kind of out there in that role because they didn't know what else to do with him, and, and they didn't really have someone that they felt super confident in that role. And this year, you know, they started out with Travion Henderson. You know, then Travion Henderson becomes the number one back. They shift to Emeka Abuka. But it's, it's clear, Ryan Day's talked about it, Parker Fleming's talked about it, that they want to start hitting some home runs in that phase of the game. And we're starting to see it. And, you know, as we talk about midseason stuff here, you know, if we were giving out midseason grades, like I mentioned this to you on Saturday, I'd give special teams an A. I think, I think, that's probably something we haven't talked about all year and most people haven't talked about that has quietly been one of the biggest strengths of his team is the special teams have been really good. Noah Ruggles has not yet missed a single kick. Jesse Murko has been really solid as a punter. He, he didn't have to punt at all on Saturday because the offense was so good, but when he's had to punt, he's done great. The kickoff return unit, uh, again, has been more productive than we've seen in a long time. You know, they haven't really had any big punt returns, but you know, nothing uh, as a negative there. So uh, special teams, you know, something we don't talk about a lot, but I think the work Parker Fleming uh, in his first year as a full-time coach has done with that unit so far this year is certainly worthy of praise because I think they've done an excellent job in that phase of the game. Yeah, special teams is one of those things where unless it's a guy hitting like a 60-yard field goal or something, I think it's good if if it kind of flies under the radar because that means it's it's an efficient group. It's doing what it should do, especially in terms of, Noah Ruggles kicking 30 for 37 for 37 on extra points and six for six from field goal. He's been really good for Ohio State so far. And for Ohio State's sake, hopefully that continues for him in his first season with the program. But Dan, as we talk about midseason stuff here, let's go over some kind of some checkpoints here, six games into the season. One of those being, what do you feel best about with this Ohio State team at the halfway point? And also, what is your biggest concern now that we've seen halfway through the regular season schedule? Well, I think to start with what I feel best about, I mean, it's got to be the offense, right? And 
it has to be. I mean, the way the offense is playing, this looks like the most explosive offense in the country. It looks like an offense that can outscore anybody. And again, you know, going back to the question we were asked last week about Alabama and LSU, if you have that kind of offense, you typically have the chance to beat anybody you play. And so I think that's the thing that I feel best about where, you know, when I look at this Ohio State team right now, and, you know, last week we were asked where we would rank Ohio State, and I said I think they're the third best team. Now I'm probably putting them second after seeing Alabama look far more vulnerable than I expected against Texas A&M. I think they're right there. I think right now in college football, I would say I think Ohio State has the best offense, and I think Georgia has the best defense. So I'd love to see that game materialize in a college football playoff because I think that would be a really fun matchup to watch and see uh, you know, how that Georgia defense uh, can hold up against this Ohio State offense. But yeah, for me, it's, it's got to be just the fact that this offense uh, seems to have the ability to overwhelm people right now. I think my biggest concern for the Buckeyes right now is once we see them in these bigger games, will we start to see some of the same concerns that we saw earlier on in the season, or are they going to prove that, that they have improved from that point, be it offense or defense? Obviously, I'm more concerned with the defense. And on it, frankly, some of the, the veteran play on defense is, is kind of, to me, still kind of a concern because and we might talk about it a little bit more later, but the lack of sack production from some of these veteran defensive ends, obviously at free safety, a guy like Bryson Shaw, there's still some concerns there, I would say, at safety in the secondary. And we've, we've seen some kind of iffy play from seven banks at corner. There are some injury issues still. So I think, honestly, once we see Ohio State against a, a, a step up in competition, are we going to see some of the, the hesitancy return or are we going to see some of that confidence kind of come undone that Ohio State's built up against possibly lesser opponents here in the last few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, kind of going back to what we talked about last week too, like the other big concern is just the fact that this team has no margin for error, and they've got a lot of tough games ahead. I mean, again, I mean, we saw Penn State lose to Iowa last week. I think, you know, that, that probably lessens some people's opinion of Penn State. I certainly think if Penn State's going to beat Ohio State, they're going to need Sean Clifford because uh, Taquan Roberson, I believe, is the backup quarterback's name, did not play well against Iowa. Granted, Ohio, Iowa has a great defense, but he, he just, uh, I, I think watching him, but my first thought watching him was, Ohio State fans should be really grateful about the quarterback situation they have because when Penn State had Sean Clifford go down, their backup quarterback just simply was not up to the task of being able to keep that thing going. And we know at Ohio State, obviously C.J. Stroud is QB1 now. He's the guy. But we've at least seen Kyle McCord and Jack Miller play in the last three games. They've got some experience they've got the ability to pass the ball downfield and make plays with their arm. And so you at least feel good in that regard that you've got depth at that quarterback position, which a lot of teams don't have. But, you know, beyond that tangent, again, you, you've got Penn State and you've got that end of a year back-to-back games there against Michigan State and Michigan. That is, I mean, you're, you're looking at very likely, if you, if you get to a Big Ten championship game, having to win three straight games against Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa, which are three teams that are ranked in the top 10 right now, all of whom are undefeated right now. So that end of a season stretch is going to be a gauntlet, and and getting through that is not going to be easy. Winning all of those games is not going to be easy. I 
now that we've seen this team improve, I'm at the point where I think it's possible. I, there's nothing that I look at and go, this specific thing is going to keep Ohio State from accomplishing any of its goals. But I just know it. it isn't going to come easy. There's most likely going to be at least one or two games here down the stretch that get very interesting, where they're going to have to pull out a win in a tough game. And that goes back to what you were just talking about, that you know, we've seen them roll over opponents, but when they face adversity again, because that adversity is going to come at some point, will they be ready? Will they be able to make the plays they need to make on both sides of the ball to finish out that game in the fourth quarter? Because we didn't see them do that against Oregon. So will they be able to do that when that time comes? That's probably going to determine whether or not this team wins another Big Ten title and plays on a college ball playoff. We're talking about the future here a little bit, the end of the season. But, Dan, let's actually rewind to the preseason here as we kind of do some checkpoints, some midseason checkpoints. So you and Colin actually did a draft, I believe, and you can speak to this a lot more than I can because I obviously was not involved. You guys did a draft of just the Ohio State roster, it looks like. Do you want to get more into this and, and explain what this is and we can take a look at how it kind of compares to how things have played out here? Well, yeah, weekly listeners of RealPod Wednesdays will remember the draft that Colin and I did in July. They'll also probably remember that uh, Colin uh, kicked my butt in the voting for this. And looking back on it, I'm confident he would kick my butt even more because for some reason I allowed Colin to get C.J. Stroud at the 16th pick and Travion Henderson at the 40th pick. So I'm just assuming Griffin's looking at this and going, Dan, what the hell were you doing? Travion Henderson at the forty, the forties. Now that's some some real draft value right there, Dan. Which I know you know all about as a, a an avid draft connoisseur of sorts. Yeah, I just I, I think it's fun to look back on this because it it's kind of a lens into where we were at preseason into in terms of who we thought the most valuable players would be on this team. And you know, I look at the top three picks: Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, Jeremy Ruckert. Those are three great players, but I think if we were doing a draft right now, I don't think any of those guys are going to the top three. I certainly don't think Fair Munford's going number one overall. Nothing against Fair, but he got moved to left guard, and you could make the case that Matt Jones has been better than Fair Munford has been when he's been in the game at left guard. And so, you know, that's a guy you go into the season, you've got an inexperienced offensive line, you go, this is the most important guy on the team. I think now, I mean... If it's me, I'd be taking C.J. Stroud number one. How about you? I might go Chris Olave. I might even go Travion Henderson on it. We, we don't know what he's going to do. You absolutely could. You with, absolutely could. With what he's seemed capable of doing and the fact that he's putting up huge numbers even in games where he's getting stifled at the beginning of games and doing it not only running the ball but catching the ball as well, we could see some absolutely electric performances from him against some of these great Big Ten teams down the stretch here, and he could make a real case for that number one spot. But yeah, I'm just looking at some of these picks here. I mean, Zach Harrison at number seven, I'm suddenly not loving that pick. I think seven banks at number eight is suddenly looking way too high. I mean, well, if we were doing it again, the kind of a fun thing about looking back at this, neither of us took Denzel Burke. Right now, Denzel Burke would be a top 10 pick in this draft because Denzel Burke is clearly the team's best cornerback right now. Neither of us took Tyleek Williams either. Tyleek Williams would absolutely be picked in this draft if we were doing it right now. So it's kind of fun to look back and see, you know, you you look at the linebackers. We did not take Steel Chambers or Tommy Eichenberg. We did take Pali'i and Aoteote and Dallas Gantt. 
Dallas Gantt's no longer on the team. Nayo Teote really isn't playing. Steel Chambers, I mean, I might take Steel Chambers as the top linebacker right now because I really like what I've seen from Steel Chambers. Dan, stop me if you think I'm wrong here, but if you were to do a 2020 draft like this, I think it would have been a lot easier in terms of how it stacked up to how reality actually played out versus how this kind of situation is going here because I think that's one of the things that's made this season so fun is that there actually are so many things where our preconceived notions going into the season were proved to be kind of wrong and things have been shaken up completely, especially on defense and with just all these young players. I mean, that's just been such a big theme of this whole season is the emergence of all these young players. But I think the fact that as evidenced by the the draft that you guys did is that we just didn't know how a lot of things were going to play out and a lot of things have played out very differently to how we thought they would in terms of personnel and playing time. Yeah, we did do one in 2020. Justin Fields absolutely would have still gone number one after the season. However, I do not think Sean Wade would have still gone number two after the season that he had for Ohio State in 2020. As I mentioned, as voters made clear at the time, Colin absolutely kicked my butt in that draft. So uh, Colin, who's uh, now out on the West Coast doing research for the NFL, but my former uh, co-host on this podcast, uh, he definitely had the better draft. Uh, That was pretty clear at the time, and it's even more clear in hindsight because he rightfully bet on the upside of Travion Henderson, whereas I drafted Mayan Williams with the 15th pick, which... I still think Mayan, as long as he comes back and healthy, I still think he can make an impact on this team. But there's no question right now that Travion Henderson is the most valuable running back on this team. Also, no doubt that C.J. Stroud should have been one of the top picks. I think the one I the one I will give myself credit on is Ronnie Hickman, who would go a lot higher than 23 right now. He'd, he'd probably go in the top 10 right now. But I remember when I took Ronnie Hickman with the 23rd pick, over some of the guys that were still on the board. I remember reading the comments and a lot of people were saying that I reached to take Ronnie Hickman because a lot of people at the time thought Craig Young was going to be the starting bullet. And I did, I did keep trying to beat that drum in the preseason, but I, Ronnie Hickman was a guy I thought a lot of people were overlooking uh, that I thought deserved a lot more credit. So I want to give myself credit for that one. I'm not going to give myself credit for taking Mayan Williams over C.J. Stroud or Uh, for letting Colin take Travion Henderson with a 40th pick or for letting him take basically the entire starting offensive line. But at least uh, I feel like I got one right there in terms of drafting Ronnie Hickman higher than most people probably would have. Well, Dan, Luke Whippler as well. You took a number 22. He doesn't escape the the, the first 22 picks there, which is pretty impressive. I don't think a lot of people would have thought that he would be leading the entire Ohio State offense in snaps as just a redshirt freshman. So that, that pick aged well as well. Yeah, I did think at the time that Luke Whippler would be Ohio State's starting center. However, I thought that Harry Miller would be the starting left guard and that Thayer Munford would be the starting left tackle. So uh, things didn't quite go the way that I envisioned on Ohio State's offensive line, but that offensive line is looking really good right now. To continue this conversation, we did get a question from Minbuck about uh, some of the things we just talked about. And I said, rank the following from most to least surprising against your preseason expectations. Ronnie Hickman is the defensive MVP. Tyleek Williams is a super sub leading the team in sacks. Steel Chambers is a top three linebacker. Denzel Burke is the team's top defensive back. And JT Tuimolowau and Jack Sawyer have more sacks than Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, and Javante Jean-Baptiste. 
for me, number one has got to be Denzel Burke being the team's top cornerback because a true freshman starting at cornerback from the start of a season is almost unheard of. And for him to be the clear-cut best cornerback on Ohio State's roster as a true freshman, as a guy who was playing wide receiver in high school, to me, you talk about a pleasant surprise, to me that's got to be number one on the list. What strikes me here with all these things is there, a lot of them are s- extremely yes. <laughs> shocking. If you were to bring these to us just a couple months ago absolutely. and say that all these things were true, I'd be like, man, that, that is absolutely absurd. But honestly, a couple things here. I mean, Ronnie Hickman being the defensive MVP, the only reason that can't be your most surprising, I think, is because there was obviously a chance that he could be a starter for Ohio State in the offseason. So that's theoretically could, could have been true. I mean, I would never have thought that Tyleek Williams is going to be leading the team in sacks halfway through the season. I mean, that just seems absolutely absurd. So that one for me is up there. Steel Chambers, I wouldn't have thought was a top three linebacker because there were so many names at linebacker coming into the year, even if the nobody was really sure of the the depth or anything like that. There's still so many names. Now, obviously, guys like Dallas Gant and Kayvon Poper are out of the program. Even if they were in the program, Steel Chambers might be a top three linebacker, but that is just shocking and that alone, just with the, the move from running back and, and things of that nature, the one th- prob- I think the least surprising actually for me is the, the veteran defensive end sack production, just because those guys kind of had the same ho-hum sack production last year for the most part, even though they had obviously fewer opportunities in terms of not having a full season and some of those guys missing a couple games with COVID. But if there was one thing I would have to say would be least surprising, I think it would be that just because we hadn't seen those guys put up crazy sack numbers in the past. Yeah, for me, it's Denzel Burke, number one. Tyleek Williams is number two because, I mean, truthfully, I, I, I thought Tyleek Williams was going to be at the back of rotation this year. I thought he was going to probably have to wait his turn until next year to really play a bigger role with Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent returning at that free tech spot. And, He's now become a guy that people are asking, why isn't he on the field more? So to me, that would be number two. Steel Chambers would be number three because I thought you're moving this guy from running back. It's going to take him a year really to, to really be comfortable to where you can trust him to play major snaps. Now, like you said, he's a top three linebacker, and you could argue that he's the best right now the way he's playing. I think by the end of a season, there's a good chance we will be saying he's the best because – he just seems to be taking to that position really quickly. Uh, as Kerry Combs said Saturday, he's a guy, when he sees, he goes. And I think that's what people really like about Steel Chambers is he's a guy, he plays fast. He doesn't, it doesn't mean he's playing perfect, but he's not a guy who looks like he needs to think too much out there. He's a guy who's got good instincts. He flies around the field and he's showing a lot of range. So uh, I've been really impressed with Steel Chambers. That would be third for me on that list. Fourth, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the true freshman having more sacks than the veterans, and I say that because I was very much on the train going into the year of I thought Zach Harrison was going to have a breakout year. I thought I'm I'm not necessarily shocked that Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo have more production than Tyreek Smith and Javante Jean Baptiste, but I was on the train going into the year that I thought Zach Harrison was really gonna take that big leap and have that big breakout year. And that hasn't happened yet. I mean, I think as a whole, if we were talking like most disappointing position groups right now, to me, it would have to be the defensive ends because you look at the depth of this group, all the talent, three five stars and Harrison Sawyer and Tui Molowal, three experienced veterans in Harrison Smith and and Gene Baptiste. 
for these guys to have three and a half combined sacks for six games. I think that's a disappointment. So I think that would be the position group that I look at going into the second half of the season that you need to see more from, that needs to do more, because there's just too much talent in that room for those guys not to be taking over games, especially when they're playing against inferior opponents. So in terms of surprises, I'll put Ronnie Hickman at the bottom. Not Again, I'm not saying that I predicted Ronnie Hickman would be Ohio State's best defensive player. I did think there was a chance that Ronnie Hickman would be one of Ohio State's better defensive players. So I'm not shocked that he's playing a huge role. He, he has exceeded my expectations for him, but I'm not shocked that Ronnie Hickman is playing a big role for this Ohio State defense. Dan, we talked about the Ohio State offense and it being the number one total offense in the country right now. Future is Bright asks, do you think the yardage and scoring by Ohio State's offense is comparable to LSU in 2019 and Bama in 2020? If so, then we're bound for a great playoff run, right? I think that's an apt username for that question, right? Uh, future is bright if we're talking about comparing Ohio State's offense to, to uh, national championship teams. But yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the numbers right now are pretty close to identical to what Alabama and LSU did for the past two years. So if you're just looking at it from a statistical standpoint, you can absolutely say that this offense is producing at that same level. Now, again, you have to see in the big games coming up down the stretch of a season, can they continue to perform at that level? Ultimately, we need to see what happens in those games before we can, can truly say that this offense is on the same level at those teams. But I do think, to answer the second question, if this offense can continue to produce at the same rate as Bama and LSU, then this team is capable of anything. This team is capable of winning a national championship. You know, the one challenge is they've already lost one game. So all it, all it takes for this team's goals to, to fall apart is, is to lose one game. That's, that's, all, that's all it takes. I, I think, again, this is a team right now, because of the way they're playing offensive football, I think this team can beat any team in the country. I think Ohio State can beat any team in the country. I think anything is possible for this team. But all it takes is one bad game to keep this team out of a playoff right now. So I think that's the thing. Like I'm not going to say, oh, this team's a lock to make the college ball playoff because there's way too many tough games in front of them for me to say that right now. But if they get there, everything's on the table. It's kind of crazy how there is only we're already halfway through the season, but it still does seem like there's like we're talking about there's so much football left. There's so many big games Ohio State still has to play in, which is kind of crazy to think there's only six games left. But talking about some of those matchups, Seville Buck asked us, considering how back heavy the remaining schedule is with marquee games, discuss CJ Stroud as a Heisman contender and what he would need to do in those games to win the award. And the bonus question is: Is CJ Stroud even one, the one with the most Heisman potential on the Ohio State? offense well i'll just say this right now if cj Stroud can keep throwing 400 yards five interceptions and no touchdowns or five five touchdowns no interceptions if he keeps throwing five interceptions if no touchdowns he ain't gonna win the heisman trophy i will say if he keeps 400 yards and five touchdowns and no picks he'll win the heisman if ohio state doesn't lose of course but i think if he's putting up games like this every single game it's pretty likely that ohio state's not going to lose unless they have a huge defensive laps or things of that nature yeah i think he's absolutely 
one of the favorites for the trophy right now. I think he's absolutely in position where he needs to be to make a run at this trophy. And to answer the second question, I do think he's one of the most high potential on the offense because in recent years, this has typically been a quarterback award. And you know, we did see Devontae Smith win it last year. I think the thing that works against a Chris Olave is that he's got to share those, that production with Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Chigba. You know, I think all those guys are spectacular, but because they're, they're all sharing targets with each other, I don't think one of them is going to be able to make a serious Heisman run. I do think Travion Henderson has a chance to be in that Heisman race. I think he, uh, Travion Henderson being a Heisman finalist is certainly possible. But he's going to need to have some really big games down the stretch, I think. He's going to have to have two or three more 200-yard type games, you know, three touchdown type games, I think, for him to really be in that mix. I I definitely don't rule it out, but I do think it's more likely that if an Ohio State player is going to make a big run at a Heisman this year, it would be C.J. Stroud. And to to answer what he has to do, he he has to play really well in those big games, you know. He's got plenty of opportunities for that resume because if he plays well against Penn State and well against Michigan State and well against Michigan and well against Iowa, he has as many chances as any player in the country to go out there and have huge performances in big game and have quote-unquote Heisman moments. So I think the stage is set that if he can keep playing like this, that he it's a realistic goal that he could win the Heisman. But he has to do it. I mean, just just because he's played this well against Rutgers and Maryland doesn't guarantee he's going to play that well in bigger games. And so he has to do it. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily going out and I'm saying I think C.J. Stroud will win the Heisman right now, but I do think that there's a path there without question that if he can continue to play like this and if he can play like that in big games— there's no clear Heisman frontrunner right now. You know, Bryce Young and Matt Corral are the guys who lead the odds right now. But, you know, I don't know if Ole Miss is a good enough team to where unless Matt Corral really tears it up in the second half of the year, if he can really stay at the front of that race. Bryce Young was not great in that loss to Texas A&M, so I think he's got to bounce back. Certainly, he's still in the mix. You know, there's other guys like, I mean, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, Bijan Robinson from Texas. They're both having fantastic years at running back, so I think they're still in the mix too. But this isn't one of those years where you've got that clear front runner in the Heisman race right now. And so I think that leaves the door open for C.J. Stroud or even a Travion Henderson with a huge second half of the year to make a run up the award. Yeah, I think what hampers Henderson's campaign right now is kind of like, for a running back or a wide receiver to win it, you really have to put up like at least historically monster, monster numbers. Like Devontae Smith last year just put up ridiculous video game numbers, right? And Henderson, although we've seen him put almost 300 rushing yards on the board already this season, he didn't start the first two games, even though he had that 70-yard receiving touchdown in the first game. And he's already had a game where he didn't play the second half. So things like that, just missing some opportunities for carries or big moments there just because because of the playing time and him being a true freshman has kind of halted him from having several really monster, monster games. And he still could, obviously, because they, we think he's going to get a lot more carries, 25, 20, 30 carry games potentially in the back half of the season if the team needs him to do that. But right now, he, he, he only has a couple really huge performances, or really one that we know that was a record-setting monster performance. He'll need to do that a lot more. And I think 
for an Ohio State quarterback that's playing well, you're you're naturally going to put up numbers that are going to put you in the Heisman conversation anyway. I will say I, I I I would feel very confident right now betting on C.J. Stroud to be the Big Ten freshman of the year. Oh, absolutely. And if not, it will be Travion Henderson. <laughs> we were also asked by Gare Bear, Dwayne Haskins or C.J. Stroud? Who are you riding with? That's you such a this one off, Griffin. That's such a difficult question that's right now. Really difficult. Both number seven, of course. They're comparable on that regard. C.J. Stroud, the, he, he also became this past week the only other Ohio State quarterback in history to throw for five touchdowns in back-to-back games, Dwayne Haskins being the only other one to do that. Of course, C.J. Stroud, in just his second-ever start, had was the quarterback to throw for the most yards in a single game, aside from Dwayne Haskins, ever in a season. So they're comparable in several metrics there. Honestly, I'm probably going to have to take Dwayne Haskins just because... I saw a full, I saw a full season. I saw the the full stats and everything. I still don't know. CJ Stroud could still potentially crumble in one of these games in the back half of the season. I've at least seen Dwayne Haskins pull out big games, and obviously the the Penn State game, the Maryland game. I've seen him show some guts. CJ Stroud, there's still questions enough to where I would pick with the more proven commodity of the of the pair. Yeah, I could really go either way on this too. But I'll go ahead and go the other way on this one. I'm going to go with, with C.J. Stroud. It, it it does feel like there's a part of it that says like it's too soon to say that because I, I do think Dwayne – I think the thing that you know, gets overshadowed because of just the way things have gone the last few years is what Dwayne did in 2018, we had never seen an Ohio State quarterback put up those kind of numbers as a passer until Dwayne did it. So – I don't think Dwayne's accomplishments at Ohio State in 2018 should be minimized in any way. And I think they have been to some extent because Justin Fields was so good and because Dwayne hasn't been very good in the NFL. And I think that's taken some of the luster off of Dwayne. But I do think the way this offense is looking now that C.J. Stroud has found its stride it does seem like the offense is is moving a little bit better than it ever quite did with 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 Dwayne. You know, I, I you know, and and I'm not sure. I, I think the thing that's tough about it too is Dwayne had good receivers. He did not have the kind of receivers that Stroud has right now. He had he had Chris Olave emerging as a freshman late in the year. He had Terry McLaurin, who's gone on to be phenomenal in the NFL, but he wasn't he wasn't ever quite at Ohio State when he became in the NFL. You know, he had Paris Campbell, who's a very good player, but this trio that Ohio State has right now is so elite. I, I think it's very much on track to be the best receiving core that Ohio State has ever had. You know, I think the offensive line is also really, really good. Travion is becoming a comparable player to what J.K. Dobbins was, so that's kind of a wash there. But you know, I do think the pieces around C.J. Stroud are very elite to where you know that that might help him, especially as the season continues. Maybe a little bit more than Dwayne had with him in, in 2018. So it's very close. I could go either way, but I think right now it's just a matter of you look at the potential of this guy of what CJ Stroud could become with how well he's now playing in his fourth and fifth starts that I think we could continue to see CJ Stroud continue to get better here 
and and what he could become has the potential to be very elite. And so it's definitely one of those questions I could go either way, but I just think if I'm betting on the upside of a guy, who am I taking right now to lead this Ohio State offense for the rest of the year? I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud. Let's make some midseason predictions, Dan. Of course, we're talking about how does Ohio State finish the regular season and then obviously get into some postseason talk as well. So let's start off with, does Ohio State finish the regular season 6-0? and I'll say yes. I'm going to go ahead and say yes as well. Yes to that, even though I'm, I'm hesitant. I am hesitant because... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready to like bet, bet a ton of money on it, but if a gun to my head right now, does Ohio State go 6-0? and I say yes. When you're just looking at the rankings of the teams that Ohio State has to play, you're like, man. But then, you know, you look at Michigan struggling to put away Nebraska, struggling with Rutgers as well. Iowa struggling with with Penn State. It kind of gives you a little bit of hope if you're rooting for Ohio State that they're going to be able to dispatch with some of these Big Ten teams that we've seen that are, even though they're so highly ranked right now. So yeah, I'm going to say 6-0 for Ohio State. Does Ohio State win the Big Ten, Dan? So obviously, if we have them going 6-0, that means we both have Ohio State winning the Big Ten East. That likely means having to beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. And I'm also going to say yes. I'm going to say Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Again, will be a tough game if it gets to that point. But I, I do think Iowa has some real issues on offense to where its defense is going to have to play out of its mind to for them to be able to outscore Ohio State with what Ohio State can do offensively. Right, and yeah, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm hesitant again. I'm, I'm hesitant again because Iowa Iowa's defense has looked so good. But like we talked about, we talked about it with Rutgers as well, the not great offense, great defense thing for Ohio State that just seems kind of tailor-made for them right now. So yeah, I'm going to say Ohio State w- wins the Big Ten, although I think it could definitely be a great game with Iowa if that's who they meet in, in that game. All right, does Ohio State make the college ball playoff? If we both have them going, winning out, and winning a Big Ten, then I think we both have them making the college ball playoff. But, Dan, you're telling me Cincinnati isn't going to make it over Ohio I didn't, State? I didn't say Cincinnati isn't going to make it, but I do, I, I do think that a 12-1 Ohio State Big Ten champion is getting in over Cincinnati. I think they're getting in over just about anybody. Because, again, you what we just talked about, this is a team that if – if they do that, that means beating four teams that are currently ranked in the top 10. So if they do that and they have a 12-1 and record, there's no way they're getting left out. Yeah, other teams having losses. Alabama losing, things of that nature. Ohio State's not going to be the only team that makes it with a loss potentially if they do get to that stage. I think Ohio State, if it does what we yeah, both I don't think expect- there's any, any worry about there being four undefeated teams right now that are going to keep Ohio State out at this point. I, I think that's... Uh, a scenario that I think I think Alabama losing uh, is one less reason to worry about any of that because that decreases the, the likelihood of two SEC teams though certainly still a possibility if Georgia can win out and then if Alabama wins out and beats Georgia in the SEC championship game in that scenario I think you would still have two SEC teams in there. Dan I'm going to say I'm not quite confident enough in this Ohio State team just yet to say that they make the national championship game. What say you? I'm going to say they make the national championship game and they lose in the national championship game to either Georgia or Alabama. Crushing the hearts of Buckeye fans everywhere. But I, but look, I said it before. I think this team is capable of winning a national championship right now. I think the offense has gotten to a point and the defense has improved enough that I think 
anything is possible for this team. And I, I'm much more confident that this team has a chance to compete for a national championship right now than I was a few weeks ago. And I think most Ohio State fans are too. Because, I mean, look, I was the guy I was telling you a month ago when fans were ready to give up on the season. I said, don't give up. Look at what happened in 2014. And I think, we're, I, I think you could get that 2014 feel with this team. Just the way this keeps going. It's like they started out slow, but they keep getting better. They keep getting better. And I think there's a lot working in this team's favor right now. I'm not quite ready to go there and, and pick a national championship for this team, but I think it's possible. It's because the thing is, are you gonna even with Alabama losing last week, even though so many of the pieces of that Alabama that made that Alabama team this past year so great are gone, you still just I still can't sit there and say I would favor Ohio State to beat Alabama without a shadow of, of doubt. I, I can't say that. And and Georgia looking as good as they do this year. I just can't say that I would definitely favor Ohio State in, in those two matchups. And if I can't say that I would favor Ohio State in those matchups, I can't say that I think that Ohio State would win the national championship right now. I agree, but when we talked last week, I said that I would definitely take Georgia and Alabama in those games. I'm no longer there. Uh, definitely not for Alabama. I'm, definitely, I'm no longer there where I would say I'm not picking against those two teams. Now, I really would have to think about it. And we'll see what happens over the next two months if, if one of those games ends up happening. I have no idea right now if, if those two teams were to meet in the college ball playoff who I would pick to win. I would feel pretty confident in Ohio State versus Oklahoma matchup probably just because of all the struggles the Sooners have I'd had. I'd pick Ohio State over anyone else right now. I mean, there's, there's nobody else that I would pick right now over Ohio. That's not to say I think Ohio State should be ranked top three because you have teams that are undefeated that have better resumes right now. But in terms of... Who am I picking to win a game on a neutral field right now? The only two teams right now that I'm, cons- I'm considering to, to pick over Ohio State to win a one game on a neutral field are Georgia and Alabama. And Alabama looks significantly more beatable than I thought they were a week ago. If we both have Ohio State obviously going 6-0 and to finish the regular season, that will, of course, mean that the Buckeyes will notch another win over Michigan in the rivalry game at the end of the regular season. Dan, we got asked here by MH27209, what would your score prediction be in that game, Ohio State-Michigan, if that were to be played, let's say, this weekend? What would the score be? Yeah, MH27209. 27209. He said, I think Ohio State would win by three plus touchdowns, but I am undoubtedly an uninformed homer. I, I would not go there, especially knowing the game's going to be played in Ann Arbor. I, I, I haven't thought about it enough to give a like number number score, but I think I would take Ohio State to win by 10 points right now. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go 14 points. I'll go two touchdowns. Just because Michigan, Michigan has stumbled in recent weeks. Obviously, passing the ball hasn't looked like the strongest suit of, of the Michigan team running the ball has, but we've also seen the run game get stifled a little bit, but I just don't see, we, we saw Ohio state destroy Rutgers. I think we're going to see Ohio state destroy Nebraska. And those are two teams that gave Michigan kind of everything they could handle. And I know it doesn't work like that, especially in the, in the rivalry game, you kind of throw out everything that happened before, but I think right now I would favor Ohio state by two touchdowns. I'm not going to go three plus touchdowns just yet. Yeah, Birch said, my wife is a Michigan fan, so of course she's talking all kinds of smack about the game right now. Give me some ammo to fire back with. And I think it's what you just said about 
Michigan's passing offense, which I think to me, that to me I would look at as the difference in the game right now. I think Michigan's really good running the ball, and I think Michigan would give Ohio State's defense some problems for that reason. I think Michigan has a really good defense, and so I don't think Ohio State would be able to just score at will against Michigan the way it has against Maryland and Rutgers. But I do think that ultimately right now, if I'm looking at that matchup, I think Michigan is far more capable right now of competing with Ohio State than it's been for a few years. But I look at it and I say I think the passing offense is what would ultimately make the difference because C.J. Stroud's better than Cade McNamara, and you know especially since Ronnie Bell got hurt from Michigan, Ohio State's wide receivers are a lot better than Michigan's wide receivers. And so to me, if you're looking at the ammo for why is Ohio State going to keep its streak alive against the team up north, I think it's that. I think Ohio State's given you a ton of ammo to fire back with. If you've actually just watched the two performances the last couple of weeks, I think you'd have plenty to use there in an argument with your wife. Now, Gin and Juice asks us, Dan, will Ohio State get a nighttime banger for Penn State? Ohio State's getting a nighttime banger (laughs) on the road against Indiana next week, which I don't know if us as the media are all that thrilled about. But, Dan, will we get a nighttime game for Penn State here at the Horseshoe in Columbus? It sounds possible, getting Juice. It, it, it sounds possible. Um, we're not going to know for sure until Monday, and it's possible they do a six-day hold, and we don't know until later than Monday. But hopefully we will know on Monday what time uh, that game against Penn State is. Can't say for sure, but all indications, everything I've heard seems to indicate that there's a good chance of that being a night game, even though I, I know – my initial read on it, and a lot of fans were too, on Monday when they saw that the Indiana game was going to be a night game on ABC, they thought, oh, that's it. That means noon game, Ohio State versus Penn State. But from what I've heard, ESPN has the top pick that week. Also, Michigan, Michigan State could be a candidate for big noon. So I, I think there's a definite possibility that Ohio State's going to play Saturday night on ABC two weeks in a row and and Ohio State plays Penn State at night you know and I I get the feeling Ohio State thinks that's what's coming you know two reasons for one I think they'd like to wear those color rush all scarlet uniforms under the lights because they're going to look a lot cooler that way and so (laughs) I think they made that announcement with the expectation or at least the hope that that game's going to kick off no earlier than 3.30 and that the end of that game's going to be played under the lights. And Ryan Day also said last week when he was asked about the lack of night games for recruiting, he suggested, hinted, that there was going to be at least one more home night game coming up for Ohio State. So uh, my prediction right now would be that Ohio State, Penn State, is going to be a night game, but if not, then I'll eat my crow next week. Here's an interesting question from Berger1124. Asks, how much longer do you think we'll have the Day-Wilson offensive coaching tandem? He says, I know Wilson left Indiana under some mild controversy, but it can't be much longer before a program comes calling, can it? And I'll just say my thought here, which is kind of interesting, is I think Day kind of has a perfect situation with kind of like shielding Kevin Wilson in a way in that nobody really thinks of the Ohio State offense as being as Kevin Wilson having all that much to do with the mastermind of it all, even if he does have more than people realize, everyone kind of thinks that the Ohio State is Ryan Day's brainchild in terms of the offensive success. So that's why I don't think you've seen, you might otherwise see a lot more 
excitement about Kevin Wilson if he was some young guy and, you know, things like that. But it's not like that. Kevin Wilson is, is not thought of as the mastermind of this crazy Ohio State offense. Yeah, I know Kevin Wilson interviewed for the Colorado State job a couple years ago before they hired Steve Adazio. So he has expressed interest in head coaching opportunities. There has been some interest there. Nothing that's materialized in a new job for him yet. You know, I think the question is, you know, my, my feeling is you're probably not going to see like a big job go after Kevin Wilson. Like it's probably going to be that Colorado State level kind of job, more of a mid-tier job if he's going to get one. I certainly think, you know, that's a possibility. And I think it is, I think he is interested in becoming a head coach again before uh, his coaching career is over. At the same time, like you said, I, I think Ohio State's built to withstand that. Because, I mean, it, you, you, to me, you look at it, and at some point you're going to have to make Brian Hartline a coordinator, right? Because if you want to keep that guy around, and I know they want to keep that guy around as long as they can, at some point you'd think a coordinator uh, title is going to be in his future. You know, Tony Alford's another guy that does want to be a head coach, so that's certainly something that could possibly happen. Uh, I think even Greg Stadrawa has had some interest in becoming a head coach. So who knows? But the good news for Ohio State is the head coach is the guy who leads the way on offense. And so they don't have to worry about if Kevin Wilson were to leave, they've got to bring in somebody completely new to run the offense. They just kind of have to bring in someone to fill his role and they can move parts around to make it work. And so – I think it's good to be in that position of where as long as Ryan Day is around, you know, he, it's his offensive system and he's the one who calls the offensive plays. And so certainly the, the, the tandem of him and Kevin Wilson has had great success together. And I'm sure Ryan Day would love to keep that together as long as he can. But if Kevin Wilson were to get another job, I'm confident the Ohio State offense would be just fine. And are we possibly going to get into some basketball talk? Yeah, we've only got a few minutes left here, but you did go to Big Ten Media Days last week, so I did want to give you the chance. Uh, if there's anything that you, know, you took away from Big Ten Basketball Media Days, uh, anything you want to talk about, the floor is yours. I will say, typically, if we haven't heard from Chris Holtman for a while, he tends to drop like some like newsworthy things on you. That wasn't necessarily the case at Big Ten Media Days. So there, I was expecting to maybe get some type of injury update or some type of unexpected something or other, because usually Chris Holtman will just kind of announce those if we haven't talked to him for a while. That wasn't really the case, but just some things that kind of reading, reading between the line on some things or some other interesting things of note, I would say EJ Liddell has clearly slimmed down quite a bit, which does make sense because we think he's going to move from being kind of a an undersized center, a five slash four, if you will, to more of a four slash three this year, because the NBA scouts have wanted to see him guard, switch onto guards and, and guard actual wings. So we're going to see more of that this year from EJ Liddell. He's not going to be quite as much the interior punisher and mismatch in terms of opposing centers guarding him that he might have been the last couple of years. Also, Chris Holman pretty much confirmed that we were going to get a bigger role from Michi Johnson this year. He played last year, appeared in 18, 17 or 18 games. Obviously, he could have been a high school senior last year. He, see, he looks bigger and just 
physically more mature, which obviously he's going to from going to, from being a 17, 18 year old to an 18, 19 year old. And Chris Holman said he's going to need Michi Johnson to, to score this year. And that's just an interesting thing because there, there are kind of a lot of guards now, even with Dwayne Washington and CJ Walker, obviously departing from the program. And that kind of segues into another thing that was kind of made your ears perk up at was that Chris Holman said that Cedric Russell, who the program brought in from Louisiana, a Louisiana transfer, right after Dwayne Washington left. So it was kind of thought, okay, this guy's the the replacement for DJ, Dwayne Washington because Cedric R- Russell is a volume shooter scorer type, just like Dwayne Washington. Holman said at Media Days that Russell is still kind of finding his way right now and hasn't fully adjusted to kind of the Big Ten length and speed and physicality of the game. I wasn't necessarily expecting to hear that because I think a lot of people thought this is a guy with a lot of experience that's going to come in and be able to score right away for Ohio State. Other than that, Chris Holman called the, the non-conference schedule for Ohio State the, the hardest of his career, which the last couple of years they've had some some big hitting games. Obviously, they're playing Duke and Kentucky this year, which that is just kind of a crazy duo of, of games to have on any schedule for a college basketball program. Another interesting thing was um, I talked to, to Hunter Dickinson about EJ Liddell. Obviously, the Michigan center, both Dickinson and Liddell were first team all Big Ten big men last year. The two of those guys have actually become friends over the summer with G League Combine things like that, talking at some of those events in the offseason. So that was just kind of fun to hear, kind of a a Michigan-Ohio State friendship behind the scenes. I don't know if we'll see them being that friendly on the actual court this year, but that was kind of just an interesting peek behind the curtains. Yeah, I think of all the things we heard, I think the thing that maybe kind of set off a flag in my mind the most was the comment about Cedric Russell, because that felt to me like a temper your expectations for Cedric Russell. Like, don't expect him to come in and be Dwayne Washington right away. Maybe by the end of the season, maybe a kind of player, but that kind of told me, don't expect Cedric Russell to be a guy who's going out and scoring 20 points a game in November. He's a guy that might need some time uh, before he's ready to make that kind of impact for Ohio State. So that was probably the thing that I heard that kind of set off a bulb in my head the most of. uh, That's an interesting comment that he made but i know that uh it's a bye week i know you're gonna have some more basketball coverage on the site i think we're gonna see them practice for the first time on thursday so that will be interesting uh maybe we'll have some more uh takeaways to discuss on next week's show after we get the opportunity to see that and i want to do one of those drafts with you too for the basketball team because i think this basketball team is a really interesting roster i think we probably both will have the same person number one on our boards but after that i think uh, there's a lot of uh, very interesting pieces on this team, and, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see who ultimately emerges as the best players on this team. I do know that shortly before we recorded, Ohio State announced that EJ Liddell, Justin Arns, Kyle Young, and Justice Suing will be the four captains for this team. So we certainly expect all four of those guys to play big roles, but a lot of new transfers, freshmen like Malachi Branham, a lot of interesting pieces on this team. So uh, I'm interested to see uh, when that season starts, uh, exhibition on November 1, first game on November 9. Obviously, it's football season at Ohio State, and that's where our main focus is going to be here on Real Pod Wednesdays until uh, at least January or February. But uh, I am interested to see what this season looks like here when it starts next month. There's like 12 guys on the team that could realistically be expecting some type of legitimate role on this team. I think that's why the roster is so interesting this year. I tried to get some something from Holtman on that saying, 
is it going to be hard to get certain guys that are expecting roles, actual minutes this year? He, he's not willing to talk about what the rotation is going to be like. I didn't really get anything from him on that topic, but that is what is kind of most interesting to me is how are some of these guys going to fit in because there are so many, there's nine seniors on the team, eight on scholarship, a lot of guys expecting roles. And it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out once the season starts here in under a month. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Thanks for listening in. Hope you all enjoy your bye week, off week, whatever you want to call it. And we'll be back next week to uh, look ahead to the Indiana game and the second half of the Ohio State football season. So enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon.